With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to blacktalkradionetwork.com. Helping you filter through the noise. Real talk. Black talk. The internet is full of half-truths and all-out lies. We've all seen them, and many people on social media complaining about it. Here's your chance to show and prove. WorldAfropedia.com is a black-owned and operated encyclopedia. There are several thousand articles, but we need help. We can't uncover all the truth ourselves. So please, join us and become a writer, editor, or blogger for WorldAfropedia.com today. Every little bit counts. We owe it to the future generations to put the truth out there. Visit worldafropedia.com, the African-centered encyclopedia, a global database of African knowledge for the purpose of bringing about global African wisdom and understanding. Worldafropedia.com. Franz Fanon, revolutionary journalist. Those who have studied the global black revolution of the 20th century have had to read the masterwork of Franz Fanon, The Wretched of the Earth, which was known as the Handbook of the Black Revolution, from Accra in Ghana to Oakland in California. This work, as much a psychological study as a diagnosis of the nature of French colonialism in Algeria, gave militants tremendous insights into the nature of imperialism and how resistance exploded against it. Former Black Panther leader Kathleen Neal Cleaver has written that Fanon's influence on black revolutionaries in the U.S. was profound. But before he published The Wretched of the Earth, he wrote a remarkable series of articles anonymously for the Algerian revolutionary journal El Mujahid from September 1957 to January 1960. El Mujahid's attacks on the French political and military, colonial officials, is unusually sharp and focused, reflecting Fanon's unique psychological and ideological insights into the Algerian and African struggles against imperialism. Al-Mujahid is an Arabic term meaning one who wages jihad or struggle, and here one sees Fanon in a potent war of words against the foreign occupation of Algeria. But Fanon was far more than a word warrior. In his 1964 work, Toward the African Revolution, we find Fanon, the critic, the political analyst, the Africanist, the internationalist, the Marxist, and the anti-imperialist. In his El Mujahid articles, Fanon anonymously gives voice to the FLN, French Front Liberation Nationale, English National Liberation Front, 
and ridicules French efforts to tie the FLN to rapes, killings, and massacres, condemns Arab and African collaborators, and dissects how French forces use torture to intimidate the Algerian resistance. Fanon writes, Torture in Algeria is not an accident or an error or a fault. Colonialism cannot be understood without the possibility of torturing, of violating, or of massacring. Fanon was a revolutionary journalist, or perhaps more clearly, a revolutionary who also worked as a journalist. His heart was with all anti-imperialist, revolutionary, and national liberation movements. His heart was with rebel friends like Nkrumah of Ghana and Lumumba of Congo. His heart was with what he called the wretched of the earth, the world's dispossessed. From Imprisoned Nation, this is Mumia Abu Jamal. Context of white supremacy, Gusty Renegade, in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Friday, July 28th, 2017. So I have been told this is our debut study session on France Fanon's The Wretched of the Earth. First published in French in 1961, obviously was translated uh, into English later. Uh, actually, the book was first published the same year that Fanon died. Uh, he suffered from uh, leukemia, uh, but published in English all over the world, became a world bestseller, inspired uh, many uh, individuals who have talked about, written about, uh, worked against racism, white supremacy. Obviously, this is not the only book uh, that Fanon authored, but this is, I think, along with Black Skin, White Mask, the two books that he is most well known for. Uh, without further ado, I think this is certainly a book that requires putting on our thinking cap. The fact alone, I think this might be the first book in the five plus years that we've been doing our book club that we are reading a book that was not originally written in English. Uh, we have read books on the book club from authors outside the United States, but I think this is the first time we're reading a text that was originally published in a language other than English. Uh, so that, along with many other factors, I think will make this uh, a book that we will have to do a, a good amount of paying attention, remaining alert, uh, will probably be very helpful to have a hard copy of this book as we proceed. Should be easy to access. You should have no problem if you uh, want to have a book in front of you as we read along. We will go ahead and get started again Franz Fanon, The Wretched of the Earth, Context of White Supremacy, audio segment number one. Franz Fanon, The Wretched of the Earth. Preface by Jean-Paul Sartre. Translated by Constance Farrington. Grove Press, New York. Copyright. 1963 Preface Not so very long ago, the Earth numbered 2,000 million inhabitants, 500 million men, and 1,500 million natives. The former had the word, the others had the use of it. Between the two there were hired kinglets, 
overlords and a bourgeoisie sham from beginning to end which served as go-betweens in the colonies the truth stood naked but the citizens of the mother country preferred it with clothes on the native had to love them something in the way mothers are loved the European elite undertook to manufacture a native elite they picked out promising adolescents they branded them as with a red-hot iron with the principles of Western culture they stuffed their mouths full with high-sounding phrases grand gluttonous words that stuck to the teeth after a short stay in the mother country they were sent home whitewashed these walking lies had nothing left to say to their brothers they only echoed from Paris from London from Amsterdam we would utter the words Parthenon brotherhood and somewhere in Africa or Asia lips would open Parthenon brotherhood it was the golden age it came to an end the mouths opened by themselves the yellow and black voices still spoke of our humanism but only to reproach us with our inhumanity we listened without displeasure to these polite statements of resentment at first with proud amazement what they are able to talk by themselves just look at what we have made of them we did not doubt but that they would accept our ideals since they accused us of not being faithful to them then indeed Europe could believe in her mission she had Hellenized the Asians she had created a new breed the Greco-Latin Negroes we might add quite between ourselves as men of the world after all let them bawl their heads off it relieves their feelings dogs that bark don't bite a new generation came on the scene which changed the issue with unbelievable patience its writers and poets tried to explain to us that our values and the true facts of their lives did not hang together and that they could neither reject them completely nor yet assimilate them by and large what they were saying was this you are making us into monstrosities your humanism claims we are at one with the rest of humanity but your racist methods set us apart very much at our ease we listen to them all colonial administrators are not paid to read Hegel and for that matter they do not read much of him but they do not need a philosopher to tell them that uneasy consciences are caught up in their own contradictions they will not get anywhere so 
let us perpetuate their discomfort. Nothing will come of it but talk. If they were, the experts told us, asking for anything at all precise in their wailing, it would be integration. Of course, there is no question of granting that. The system, which depends on over-exploitation, as you know, would be ruined. But it's enough to hold the carrot in front of their noses. They'll gallop, all right. As to a revolt, we need not worry at all. What native in his senses would go off to massacre the fair sons of Europe simply to become European as they are? In short, we encouraged these disconsolate spirits and thought it not a bad idea for once to award the pre-gun court to a Negro. That was before 39, 1961. Listen, let us waste no time in sterile litanies and nauseating mimicry. Leave this Europe where they are never done talking of men, yet murder men everywhere they find them at the corner of every one of their own streets in all the corners of the globe. For centuries they have stifled almost the whole of humanity in the name of a so-called spiritual experience. The tone is new. Who dares to speak thus? It is an African, a man from the third world, an ex native. He adds, Europe now lives at such a mad, reckless pace that she is running headlong into the abyss. We would do well to keep away from it. In other words, she's done for. A truth which is not pleasant to state, but of which we are all convinced. Are we not, fellow Europeans, in the marrow of our bones. We must, however, make one reservation. When a Frenchman, for example, says to other Frenchmen, the country is done for, which has happened, I should think almost every day since 1930, it is emotional talk, burning with love and fury. The speaker includes himself with his fellow countrymen, and then usually adds, unless. His meaning is clear. No more mistakes must be made. If his instructions are not carried out to the letter, then and only then will the country go to pieces. In short, it is a threat followed by a piece of advice, and these remarks are so much the less shocking in that they spring from a national intersubjectivity. But on the contrary, when Fanon says of Europe that she is rushing to her doom, far from sounding the alarm, he is merely setting out a diagnosis. This doctor neither claims that she is a hopeless case, miracles have been known to exist, nor does he give her the means to cure herself. He certifies that she is dying on external evidence founded on symptoms that he can observe. 
As to curing her, no, he has other things to think about. He does not give a damn whether she lives or dies. Because of this, his book is scandalous. And if you murmur, jokingly embarrassed, he has it in for us, the true nature of the scandal escapes you. For Fanon has nothing in it for you at all. His work, red hot for some, and what concerns you is as cold as ice. He speaks of you often, never to you. The black Goncourts and the yellow nobles are finished. The days of colonized laureates are over. An ex-native, French-speaking, bends that language to new requirements, makes use of it, and speaks to the colonized only. Natives of all underdeveloped countries unite. What a downfall! For the fathers, we alone were the speakers. The sons no longer even consider us as valid intermediaries. We are the objects of their speeches. Of course, Fanon mentions in passing our well-known crimes. Satif, Hanoi, Madagascar. But he does not waste his time in condemning them. He uses them. If he demonstrates the tactics of colonialism, the complex play of relations which unite and oppose the colonists to the people of the mother country, it is for his brothers. His aim is to teach them to beat us at our own game. In short, the third world finds itself and speaks to itself through his voice. We know that it is not a homogeneous world. We know too that enslaved peoples are still to be found there, together with some who have achieved a simulacrum of phony independence, others who are still fighting to attain sovereignty, and others again who have obtained complete freedom but who live under the constant menace of imperialist aggression. These differences are born of colonial history. In other words, of oppression. Here, the mother country is satisfied to keep some feudal rulers in her pay. There, dividing and ruling, she has created a native bourgeoisie, sham from beginning to end. Elsewhere, she has played a double game. The colony is planted with settlers and exploited at the same time. Thus Europe has multiplied divisions and opposing groups, has fashioned classes and sometimes even racial prejudices, and has endeavored by every means to bring about and intensify the stratification of colonized societies. Fanon hides nothing. In order to fight against us, the former colony must fight against itself, or Rather, the two struggles form part of a whole. In the heat of battle, all internal barriers break down. The puppet bourgeoisie of businessmen and shopkeepers, the urban proletariat, which is always in a privileged position, the lumpen proletariat of the shanty towns, 
all fall into line with the stand made by the rural masses. That veritable reservoir of a national revolutionary army, for in those countries where colonialism has deliberately held up development, the peasantry, when it rises, quickly stands out as the revolutionary class, for it knows naked oppression, and suffers far more from it than the workers in the towns, and in order not to die of hunger, it demands no less than a complete demolishing of all existing structures. In order to triumph, the national revolution must be socialist. If its career is cut short, if the native bourgeoisie takes over power, the new state, in spite of its formal sovereignty, remains in the hands of the imperialists. The example of Katanga illustrates this quite well. Thus, the unity of the third world is not yet achieved. It is a work in progress, which begins by the union in each country, after independence, as before, of the whole of the colonized people under the command of the peasant class. This is what Fanon explains to his brothers in Africa, Asia, and Latin America. We must achieve revolutionary socialism altogether everywhere, or else, one by one, we will be defeated by our former masters. He hides nothing, neither weaknesses, nor discords, nor mystification. Here the movement gets off to a bad start. There, after a striking initial success, it loses momentum. Elsewhere, it has come to a standstill. And if it has to start again, the peasants must throw their bourgeoisie overboard. The reader is sternly put on his guard against the most dangerous will-o'-the-wisp, the cult of the leader and of personalities. Western culture, and what is equally to be feared, the withdrawal into the twilight of past African culture. For the only true culture is that of the revolution, that is to say, it is constantly in the making. Fanon speaks out loud. We Europeans can hear him. As the fact that you hold this book in your hand proves, is he not then afraid that the colonial powers may take advantage of his sincerity? No, he fears nothing. Our methods are out of date. They can sometimes delay emancipation, but not stop it. And do not think that we can change our ways. Neo-colonialism is a lot of hot air. The third forces don't exist. Or if they do, they are only the tin-pot bourgeoisies that colonialism has already placed in the saddle. Our Machiavellianism has little purchase on this wide-awake world that has run our falsehoods to earth one after the other. The settler has only recourse of one thing, brute force, when he can command it. The native has only one choice, between servitude or supremacy. What does Fanon care 
whether you read his work or not. It is to his brothers that he denounces our old tricks, and he is sure we have no more up our sleeves. It is to them, he says, Europe has laid her hands on our continents, and we must slash at her fingers till she lets go. It's a good moment. Nothing can happen at Bizerta, at Elizabethville, or in the Algerian bled that the whole world does not hear about. The rival blocks take opposite sides and hold each other in check. Let us take advantage of this paralysis. Let us burst into history, forcing it by our invasion into universality for the first time. Let us start fighting and if we've no other arms, the waiting knife's enough. Europeans, you must open this book and enter into it. After a few steps in the darkness, you will see strangers gathered around the fire. Come close and listen, for they are talking of the destiny they will meet out to your trading centers and to the hired soldiers who defend them. They will see you, perhaps, but they will go on talking among themselves, without even lowering their voices. This indifference strikes home. Their fathers, shadowy creatures, your creatures, were but dead souls. You it was who allowed them glimpses of light. To you only did they dare speak, and you did not bother to reply to such zombies. Their sons ignore you. A fire warms them and sheds light around them. You have not lit it. Now, at a respectful distance, it is you who will feel furtive, night-bound and perished with cold. Turn and turn about, in these shadows from whence a new dawn will break. It is you who are the zombies. In this case, you will say, Let's throw away this book. Why read it, if it is not written for us? For two reasons. The first is that Fanon explains you to his brothers and shows them the mechanism by which we are estranged from ourselves. Take advantage of this and get to know yourselves seen in the light of truth, objectively. Our victims know us by their scars and by their chains, and it is this that makes their evidence irrefutable. It is enough that they show us what we have made of them for us to realize what we have made of ourselves. But is it any use? Yes, for Europe is at death's door. But you will say we live in the mother country and we disapprove of her excesses. It is true, you are not settlers, but you are no better, for the pioneers belong to you. You sent them overseas, and it was you they enriched. You warned them that if they shed too much blood, you would disown them. Or say you did, 
is something of the same way as any state maintains abroad a mob of agitators, agents provocateurs, and spies whom it disowns when they are caught. You, who are so liberal and so humane, who have such an exaggerated adoration of culture that it verges on affectation, you pretend to forget that you own colonies and that in them men are massacred in your name. Fanon reveals to his comrades, above all to some of them, who are rather too westernized, the solidarity of the people of the mother country and of their representatives in the colonies. Have the courage to read this book, for in the first place it will make you ashamed, and shame, as Marx said, is a revolutionary sentiment. You see, I too am incapable of ridding myself of subjective illusions. I too say to you, all is lost unless, as a European, I steal the enemy's book and out of it, I fashion a remedy for Europe. Make the most of it. And here is the second reason. If you set aside Sorel's fastest utterances, you will find that Fanon is the first since Engels to bring the processes of history into the clear light of day. Moreover, you need not think that hot-headedness or an unhappy childhood has given him some uncommon taste for violence. He acts as the interpreter of the situation that's all, but this is enough to enable him to constitute, step by step, the dialectic which liberal hypocrisy hides from you, and which is as much responsible for our existence as for his. During the last century, the middle classes looked on their workers as covetous creatures, made lawless by their greedy desires but they took care to include these great brutes in our own species, or at least they considered that they were free men, that is to say, free to sell their labor. In France, as in England, humanism claimed to be universal. In the case of forced labor, it is quite the contrary. There is no contract. Moreover, there must be intimidation, and thus oppression grows. Our soldiers overseas, rejecting the universalism of the mother country, apply the numerous clauses to the human race. Since none may enslave, rob, or kill his fellow man without committing a crime, they lay down the principle that the native is not one of our fellow men. Our striking power has been given the mission of changing this abstract certainty into reality. The order is given to reduce the inhabitants of the annexed country to the level of superior monkeys in order to justify the settlers' treatment of them as beasts of burden. 
violence in the colonies does not only have for its aim the keeping of these enslaved men at arm's length, it seeks to dehumanize them. Everything will be done to wipe out their traditions, to substitute our language for theirs, and to destroy their culture without giving them ours. Sheer physical fatigue will stupefy them. Starved and ill, if they have any spirit left, fear will finish the job. Guns are leveled at the peasant. Civilians come to take over his land and force him by dint of flogging to till the land for them. If he shows fight, the soldiers fire and he's a dead man. If he gives in, he degrades himself and he is no longer a man at all. Shame and fear will split up his character and make his inmost self fall to pieces. The business is conducted with flying colors and by experts. The psychological services weren't established yesterday, nor was brainwashing. And yet, in spite of all these efforts, their ends are nowhere achieved. Neither in the Congo, where Negroes' hands were cut off, nor in Angola, where until very recently malcontents' lips were pierced in order to shut them with padlocks. I do not say that it is impossible to change a man into an animal. I simply say that you won't get there without weakening him considerably. Blows will never suffice. You have to push the starvation further. And that's the trouble with slavery. For when you domesticate a member of our own species, you reduce his output. And however little you may give him, a farmyard man finishes by costing more than he brings in. For this reason, the settlers are obliged to stop the breaking in halfway. The result, neither man nor animal is the native. Beaten, undernourished, ill, terrified, but only up to a certain point. He has, whether he's black, yellow, or white, always the same traits of character. He's a sly boots, a lazy bones, and a thief who lives on nothing and who understands only violence. Poor settler. Here is his contradiction naked, shorn of its trappings. He ought to kill those he plunders, as they say gins do. Now this is not possible because he must exploit them as well. Because he can't carry massacre on to genocide and slavery to animal-like degradation, he loses control. The machine goes into reverse, and a relentless logic leads him on to decolonization. But it does not happen immediately. At first, the European's reign continues. He has already lost the battle, but this is not obvious. He does not yet know that the natives are only half native. 
to hear him talk, it would seem that he ill-treats them in order to destroy or to repress the evil that they have rooted in them. And after three generations, their pernicious instincts will reappear no more. What instincts does he mean? The instincts that urge slaves on to massacre their master. Can he not here recognize his own cruelty turned against himself? In the savagery of these oppressed peasants, does he not find his own settler savagery, which they have absorbed through every pore and for which there is no cure? The reason is simple. This imperious being, crazed by his absolute power and by the fear of losing it, no longer remembers clearly that he was once a man. He takes himself for a horsewhip or a gun. He has come to believe that the domestication of the quote, inferior races will come about by the conditioning of their reflexes. But in this he leaves out of account the human memory and the ineffaceable marks left upon it. And then, above all, there is something which perhaps he has never known. We only become what we are by the radical and deep-seated refusal of that which others have made us. Three generations, did we say? Hardly has the second generation opened their eyes, then from then on they've seen their fathers being flogged. In psychiatric terms, they are traumatized for life. But these constantly renewed aggressions, far from bringing them to submission, thrust them into an unbearable contradiction which the European will pay for sooner or later. After that, when it is their turn to be broken in, when they are taught what shame and hunger and pain are, all that is stirred up in them is a volcanic fury whose force is equal to that of the pressure put upon them. You said they understand nothing but violence? Of course. First, the only violence is the settlers but soon they will make it their own. That is to say, the same violence is thrown back upon us as when our reflection comes forward to meet us when we go toward a mirror. Make no mistake about it. By this mad fury, by this bitterness and spleen, by their ever-present desire to kill us, by the permanent tensing of powerful muscles which are afraid to relax, they have become men men because of the settler who wants to make beast a burden of them because of him and against him hatred blind hatred which is as yet an abstraction is their only wealth the master calls it forth because he seeks to reduce them to animals but he fails to break it down because his interests stop him halfway thus the half natives are still humans through the power and the weakness of the oppressor which is transformed within them into a stubborn refusal of the animal condition 
we realize what follows. They're lazy. Of course, it's a form of sabotage. They're sly and thieving. Just imagine. But their petty thefts mark the beginning of a resistance which is still unorganized. That is not enough. There are those among them who assert themselves by throwing themselves barehanded against the guns. These are their heroes. Others make men of themselves by murdering Europeans, and these are shot down. Brigands or martyrs, their agony exalts the terrified masses. Yes, terrified. At this fresh stage, colonial aggression turns inward in a current of terror among the natives. By this I do not only mean the fear that they experience when faced with our inexhaustible means of repression, but also that which their own fury produces in them. They are cornered between our guns pointed at them and those terrifying compulsions, those desires for murder, which spring from the depth of their spirits in which they do not always recognize for at first it is not their violence it is ours which turns back on itself and rends them and the first action of these oppressed creatures is to bury deep down that hidden anger which their and our moralities condemn and which is however only the last refuge of their humanity Read Fanon. You will learn how, in the period of their helplessness, their mad impulse to murder is the expression of the native's collective unconsciousness. If this suppressed fury fails to find an outlet, it turns in a vacuum and devastates the oppressed creatures themselves. In order to free themselves, they even massacre each other. The different tribes fight between themselves, since they cannot face the real enemy. And you can count on colonial policy to keep up their rivalries. The man who raises his knife against his brother thinks that he has destroyed, once and for all, the detested image of their common degradation. Even though these expiatory victims don't quench their thirst for blood. They can only stop themselves from marching against the machine guns by doing our work for us. Of their own accord, they will speed up the dehumanization that they reject. Under the amused eye of the settler, they will take the greatest precautions against their own kind by setting up supernatural barriers, at times reviving old and terrible myths at others binding themselves by scrupulous rites. It is in this way that an obsessed person flees from his deepest needs. By binding himself to certain observances which require his attention at every turn. They dance. That keeps them busy. It relaxes their painfully contracted muscles. And then the dance mimes secretly, often without their knowing the refusal they cannot utter, and the murders they dare not commit. In certain districts they make use 
of that last resort, possession by spirits. Formerly this was a religious experience in all its simplicity, a certain communication of the faithful with the sacred things. Now they make of it a weapon against humiliation and despair. Mumbo Jumbo and all the idols of the tribe come down among them, rule over their violence, and waste it in trances until it is exhausted. At the same time, these high place personages protect them. In other words, the colonized people protect themselves against colonial estrangement by going one better in religious estrangement, with the unique result that finally they add the two estrangements together and each reinforces the other. Thus, in certain psychoses, the hallucinated person, tired of always being insulted by his demon, one fine day starts hearing the voice of an angel who pays him compliments, but the jeers don't stop for all that. Only from then on they alternate with congratulations. This is a defense, but it is also the end of the story. The self is disassociated, and the patient heads for madness. Let us add, for certain, other carefully selected unfortunates, that other witchery of which I have already spoken. Western Culture If I were them, you may say, I'd prefer my mumbo-jumbo to their Acropolis. Very good, you've grasped the situation, but not altogether, because you aren't them, or not yet. Otherwise you would know that they can't choose, they must have both. Two worlds that makes two bewitchings, they dance all night, and at dawn they crowd into the churches to hear mass. Each day the split widens. Our enemy betrays his brothers and becomes our accomplice. His brothers do the same thing. The status of native is a nervous condition introduced and maintained by the settler among colonized people with their consent. Laying claim to and denying the human condition at the same time, the contradiction is explosive. For that matter, it does explode. You know as well as I do. And we are living at the moment when the match is put to the fuse. When the rising birth rate brings wider famine in its wake. When these newcomers have life to fear, rather more than death. The torrent of violence sweeps away all barriers. In Algeria and Angola, Europeans are massacred at sight. It is the moment of the boomerang. It is the third phase of violence. It comes back on us. It strikes us. And we do not realize any more than we did the other times that it's we who have launched it. The liberals are stupefied. They admit that we were not polite enough to the natives. 
that it would have been wiser and fairer to allow them certain rights in so far as this was possible. They asked nothing better than to admit them in batches and without sponsors to that very exclusive club, our species. And now this barbarous, mad outburst doesn't spare them any more than the bad settlers. The left at home is embarrassed. They know the true situation of the natives, the merciless oppression they are submitted to. They do not condemn their revolt, knowing full well that we have done everything to provoke it. But at the same, they think to themselves, there are limits. These guerrillas should be bent on showing that they are chivalrous. That would be the best way of showing they are men. Sometimes the left scolds them. You're going too far. We won't support you anymore. The natives don't give a damn about their support. For all the good it does them, they might as well stuff it up their backsides. Once their war began, they saw this hard truth, that every single one of us has made his bit, has got something out of them. They don't need to call anyone to witness. They'll grant favorite treatment to no one. There is one duty to be done, one end to achieve, to thrust out colonialism by every means in their power. The more far-seeing among us will be, in the last resort, ready to admit this duty and this end, but we cannot help seeing in this ordeal by force the altogether inhuman means that these less than men make use of to win the concession of a charter of humanity. Accord it to them at once, then, and let them endeavor by peaceful undertakings to deserve it. Our worthiest souls contain racial prejudice. They would do well to read Fanon, for he shows clearly that this irrepressible violence is neither sound and fury nor the resurrection of savage instincts, nor even the effect of resentment. It is man recreating himself. I think we understood this truth at one time, but we have forgotten it, that no gentleness can efface the marks of violence. Only violence itself can destroy them. The native cures himself of colonial neurosis by thrusting out the settler through force of arms. When his rage boils over, he rediscovers his lost innocence and he comes to know himself, and that he himself creates himself. Far removed from his war, we consider it as a triumph of barbarism, but of its own volition it achieves, slowly but surely, the emancipation of the rebel. For bit by bit it destroys in him, and around him, the colonial gloom. Once begun, it is a war that gives no quarter. You may fear or be feared. That is to say, abandon yourself to the disassociations of a sham existence, or conquer 
your birthright of unity. When the peasant takes a gun in his hands, the old myths grow dim and the prohibitions are one by one forgotten. The rebel's weapon is the proof of his humanity, for on the first days of the revolt you must kill. To shoot down a European is to kill two birds with one stone, to destroy an oppressor and the man he oppresses at the same time. There remain a dead man and a free man, the survivor, for the first time, feels a national soil under his foot. At this moment, the nation does not shrink from him. Wherever he goes, wherever he may be, she is, she follows, and is never lost to view, for she is one with his liberty. But after the first surprise, the colonial army strikes, and then all must unite or be slaughtered. Tribal dissensions weaken and tend to disappear. In the first place, because they endanger the revolution, but for the more profound reason that they served no other purpose before than to divert violence against false foes. When they remain, as in the Congo, it's because they are kept up by the agents of colonialism. The nation marches forward for each of her children she is to be found wherever his brothers are fighting. Their feeling for each other is the reverse of the hatred they feel for you. They are brothers inasmuch as each of them has killed and may at any moment have to kill again. Fanon shows his readers the limits of spontaneity and the need for and dangers of organization. But, however great may be the task, at each turning of the way, the revolutionary consciousness deepens. The last complexes flee away. No one need come to us talking of the dependency complex of an ALN soldier. With his blinkers off, the peasant takes account of his real needs before they were enough to kill him, but he tried to ignore them. Now he sees them as infinitely great requirements. And this violence which springs from the people, which enables them to hold out for five years, for eight years, as the Algerians have done, the military, political, and social necessities cannot be separated. The war by merely settling the question of command and responsibility institutes new structures which will become the first institutions of peace. Here then is a man even now established in new traditions, the future children of a horrible present. Here then we see him legitimized by a law which will be born or is born each day under fire. Once the last settler is killed, shipped home or assimilated, the minority breed disappears, to be replaced by socialism. And that's not enough. The rebel does not stop there, for you can be quite sure that he is not risking his skin to find himself at the level of a former inhabitant of the old mother country. 
Look how patient he is. Perhaps he dreams of another Dien Bien Fu. But don't think he's really counting on it. He's a beggar fighting in his poverty against rich men powerfully armed. While he is waiting for decisive victories, or even without expecting them at all, he tires out his adversaries until they are sick of him. It will not be without fearful losses. The colonial army becomes ferocious. The country is marked out. There are mopping up operations, transfers of populations, reprisal expeditions, and they massacre women and children. He knows this. This new man begins his life as a man at the end of it. He considers himself as a potential corpse. He will be killed. Not only does he accept this risk, he's sure of it. This potential dead man has lost his wife and children. He has seen so many dying men that he prefers victory to survival. Others, not he, will have the fruits of victory. He is too weary of it all. But this weariness of the heart is the root of an unbelievable courage. We find our humanity on the side of death and despair. He finds it beyond torture and death. We have sown the wind. He is the whirlwind, the child of violence. At every moment he draws from it his humanity. We were men at his expense. He makes himself man at ours. A different man of higher quality. Here, Fanon stops. He has shown the way forward. He is the spokesman of those who are fighting, and he has called for union. That is to say, the unity of the African continent against all dissensions and all particularisms. He has gained his end. If he had wished to describe in all its details the historical phenomenon of decolonization, he would have to have spoken of us. This is not at all his intention, but when we have closed the book, the argument continues within us in spite of its author, for we feel the strength of the peoples in revolt, and we answer by force. Thus, there is a fresh movement of violence, and this time we ourselves are involved, for by its nature this violence is changing us, accordingly as the half-native is changed. Every one of us must think for himself, always provided that he thinks at all. For in Europe today, stunned as she is by the blows received by France, Belgium, or England, even to allow your mind to be diverted, however slightly, is as good as being the accomplice in crime of colonialism. This book and not the slightest need of a preface, all the less because it is not addressed to us. Yet I have written one, 
in order to bring the argument to its conclusion. For we in Europe too are being decolonized. That is to say that the settler which is in every one of us is being savagely rooted out. Let us look at ourselves if we can bear to and see what is becoming of us. First we must face that unexpected revelation, the striptease of our humanism. There you can see it, quite naked, and it's not a pretty sight. It was nothing but an ideology of lies, a perfect justification for pillage, its honeyed words, its affectation of sensibility were only alibis for our aggressions. A fine sight they are too. The believers in nonviolence, saying that they are neither executioners nor victims. Very well then, if you're not victims when the government which you voted for, when the army in which your younger brothers are serving without hesitation or remorse have undertaken race murder, you are, without a shadow of doubt, executioners. And if you choose to be victims and to risk being put in prison for a day or two, you are simply choosing to pull your irons out of the fire. But you will not be able to pull them out. They have to stay there till the end. Try to understand this at any rate. If violence began this very evening, and if exploitation and oppression had never existed on the earth, perhaps the slogans of non-violence might end the quarrel. But if the whole regime, even your non-violent ideas, are conditioned by a thousand-year-old oppression, your passivity serves only to place you in the ranks of the oppressors. Context of White Supremacy First audio segment on France Fanon's The Wretched of the Earth. Now we are still in the introduction. I don't know which version you have of the text, but we have a little bit left to go in the introduction. For me, uh, we are on 24 in the introduction by Jean-Paul Sartre. Uh, if folks remember Medical Apartheid, I think that book had a very long introduction as well. I think that was another one where the first audio segment, we didn't even get into any of the actual text because the introduction was so long. This is another one, and this preface is not even written by Benal. This is by Jean-Paul Sartre, suspected racist. Folks have commentary uh, on the first portion of the reading. Number to dial 641 715 Three six four zero. The code is five six four nine four three pound. Press star six if you would like to participate. That number again six four one seven one five three six four zero. The code five six four nine. Four three pound. Press star six if you would like to participate. 
If you would like to use your, uh, if you don't want to use your phone, you can use the free Vope line. It's linked at Black Talk Radio Network. If you need the link, it is tiny, T-I-N-Y dot C-C forward slash one race. And that is the number one. Address again, tiny, T-I-N-Y dot C-C forward slash one race. And that is the number one. When you put in that address, click the link on the left of the page. It says free vote line. When you click it, it will open a small window on your screen. <clears throat> Top line, it is a drop down menu. Select the number that I just gave out, which again is 641-715-3640. The next line, it will ask for the code. That code again, 564 nine four three final line it will ask for a name you can put in a real name nickname you can press random keys uh, once you get all that information entered click the green button at the bottom it will connect you to the live broadcast you should be able to hear us it is the same procedure if you would like to participate you will see the dial pad on your screen press star six You'll hear an audio prompt to press the number one. I'll see your hand on the screen and we will get you on the line. Uh, I would certainly be interested to hear from listeners, uh, particularly folks who voted. This was a unanimous listener choice uh, when I thought, you know, hey, we should check out some friends. Fanon. He gets mentioned quite a bit by listeners and other folks on the program. Uh, we should read at least one uh, of his books. That way we can, you know, that'll be a common reference point. I uh, said we could do Black Skin, White Mass, which is significantly shorter book than Wretched of the Earth. And I think it's also pretty, pretty well known. And as I said, on everyone's favorite uh, subject matter, but the vote was unanimous to do Wretched of the Earth. Uh, so hopefully uh, the participation will be reflected uh, as we move through the text. But I'd be interested in hearing uh, what people think about a suspected racist, uh, Jean-Paul Sartre. This is like a really, if I were to compare him, he would be like, uh, if people are familiar with Noam Chomsky of like the current era, uh, this is a white man who does his, he like writes books and he's been in documentary films and, uh, he will talk about, uh, racism and oppression, that sort of thing. He doesn't necessarily use terms like white supremacy, but uh, if I were to try to give you a reference point in terms of who Jean-Paul Sartre uh, is, uh, this white French philosopher who is doing this extensive introduction to the wretched of the earth that we have not finished uh, Sartre's introduction, but uh, why would this white person uh, be placed at the beginning? If people have thoughts uh, about why he would be placed at the beginning of this text, really influential text, uh, and what he said thus far. Uh, folks who dialed in with a hand up, uh, we'll get people on the line here. Uh, all right, people who dialed in with a hand up, uh, line should be open. Uh, you can, whatever thoughts you have from the first segment. So I got you well, right here. Oh, sounds like we're hearing a little bit of background noise. If you could. Be mindful of that if you are talking to other people or if you have, you know, other things going on, just use your mute button. Uh, we have folks who had uh, commentary they wanted to share. Can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Okay, greetings to everyone on the line. I did not get to officially vote, but thank you to all those who did, who voted for Russia of the Earth. I um, attempted to read this book 
earlier this year, and I did not finish it, so I'm glad that I will be able to do so and um, hear other thoughts on parts that I did read and was confused um, and just over, like, just <laughs> curious um, what others will think about some parts in this book. Uh, also, I have a question, guys. What are you able? I was looking at my copy, and I can't find like a specific edition number or anything like that. What edition is the um, audio book from? Do you know offhand? Well, I can't. Well, let's answer it this way. I do not. However, the copy that I have uh, is copyrighted 1963 uh, by Presence African. That's the version that I have. Uh, and mm -hmm. thus far, it has been verbatim, word for word, comma for comma, with the version that the narrator is reading. Wow. I have a completely different <laughs> uh, version, almost. Like, it's, it's really insane. But um, Does it yeah, not have Sartre's introduction? It does. Oh, okay. It does, but it's just very different. Um, not only word choices, but grammatical order. Um, it's really interesting because I, I, I definitely listen to you, and I know that, you know, words are extremely important. But just listening to that audiobook and trying to copy along or follow along with my book, it's glaring um, the importance of word choice. But anyway, I don't know. I, I, mine is saying copyright 1963, by Presence African, and then it says English Translation Copyright 2004 by Richard Philcox. So, anyway, um, I have to try to track down the Oh, version this is an earlier version. Yeah, this I have an uh, earlier version. Makes sense, because this is... <laughs> this book, uh, just to give an example, a word choice, um, something that, towards the end of what we just listened to, uh, the line that says, even the whole entire line is different, but it's the part where he's talking about um, the black people who claim that they are not victims. It says, if you're not a victim in the government you voted for in the army, this is the version I have, if you're not a victim in the government you voted for in the army, your young brother served, commit, served in commits genocide without hesitation or remorse, then you are undoubtedly, the version I have says, a torturer. The audiobook says executioner. That's obviously very different words. So I have to get a hold of that copy because that made just listening to it. Um, it cleared up a lot of the things that confused me when I attempted to read this earlier. Just the difference in word choices. Where um, my simple-minded self was able to understand the audiobook a lot better than the book that I have. So. Uh, I look forward to further clarity as we continue reading. So thank you again to all who voted. Have me on. For sure. That will be a great. That's probably uh, wonderful that we started with that commentary because, as I said in the introduction, I believe this is the first time that we are reading a book that was not originally written in English. So 
keep that in mind as we proceed, because a whole lot of this could depend on how things get translated. We talk about words all the time. I mean, there are uh, black scholars, many of them who have said that's one thing, knowing what they know now being older, what they would have done is studied multiple language so they could just go and read the original source and see okay, what is this, what does this say in French? Because uh, that might clear up a whole lot of confusion to be able to get it directly the way it was originally written. But uh, we are all still learning, and words are very important. But that'll be great to keep in mind. Might even be great if anybody does have a different version to kind of compare and contrast, because that way we can kind of look at portions of the text and see, you know, well, in this version, this is what it says, and this version, this is what it says, kind of compare and contrast that way. That might reveal a lot. As well. I said, this is one that will definitely require, you know, being alert, a lot of focus, having your thinking cap on uh, for a variety of reasons. Um, other folks that we have not heard from have commentary? Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Okay, greetings, Gus, and uh, greetings to all the callers and listeners. Um, I actually have the same copy as the previous uh, uh, caller uh, that came on, uh, uh, the uh, translation by Richard Philcox. And what's interesting, uh, you know, with the words that's being used in the audio and the ones, uh, the ones that's in my book, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. Like when he uses the word in the audio, when he uses the word uh, mother country, the translation in this uh, in this volume is uh, met uh, metropolitan. Uh, also, when they use the word native, uh, they use the word uh, colonized as well. So, um, some interesting translation. I mean, it's almost like <laughs> I mean, it's almost like uh, you know reading the Bible in regards to the different translations in, in that book as well. So, uh, you know, we have to. Uh, understand the language that's being used here, and, and I agree with you in regards to uh, trying, you know, uh, learning the language that it was originally written in. But uh, just a couple of notes that I have. I'll try to go by, uh, I guess, paragraph number that uh, that I noticed in some of these and uh, uh, some of the reading. Um, in the first paragraph, uh, and I'm going to use the one that I have here. Uh, in regards to when it says the European elite uh, uh, select adolescents, branded them with Western principles and culture uh, on their forehead with red hot iron and gaggle their mouths with sounds, prompts, awkward words that twist their tongues. You know, it, it sounds like uh, he's talking about education uh, of non-white people into uh, into racist European uh, language and how uh, most people, you know, uh, uh, are educated uh, within our community, uh, basically not doing anything but just knowing a lot of stuff. Uh, in uh, paragraph six, uh, it kind of sounds like uh, they were talking about uh, how, you know, I guess the Europeans are done for uh, and talk, talked about, uh, you know, uh, uh, I guess it's talking about, you know, it kind of sounds like, you know, Loppert Stoddard and Rising Tide of Color where, you know, you know, uh, he talks about, oh, wow, you know, if we don't do anything about it, the, the non-white people are going to take over and we're going to be done for. And, you know, it, it kind of sounds like Loppert Stoddard-ish type of stuff uh, in paragraph six. Uh, what In paragraph 14, he used the word three generations. 
Now, what's interesting about that is within my family history, my great-grandfather was, was born into slavery uh, in uh, South Carolina, and that's three generations for me. So uh, that word kind of stuck out to me when he, when he said three generations. Uh, paragraph 17, where they talked about uh, dancing, uh, you know, I think about how they use entertainment against us uh, to uh, not, uh, you know, to forget about, you know, white supremacy, forget about fighting racism, you know, so uh, that's also interesting. Uh, paragraph 18 uh, basically talks about uh, the liberal and the refined racist, if you ask me. So, uh, you know, we, we need to be... Uh, you know, I guess the the Europeans are talking about. You know, we need to be nicer to the, the to the to the non-white people, so they won't you know get all aggressive towards us. But you know, we still be racist against them. You know, just be just be nicer to them. So uh, that's what I got out of that paragraph. Uh, um, that's uh, that's all I have. I'll be my life. Appreciate that, sir. Uh, other folks who had a hand up. Uh, have commentary they wanted to share, feel free. Greetings. Can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Greetings, folks. Um, I am so excited about this book. I was excited about this book when we put uh, first one on, on the table for the book club, and I definitely voted for this book. I'm so excited. I've been wanting to read this book for a long time, so I'm happy to do it with you all. And if I wasn't excited about the book and I listened to the preface, I would be, like, that would just immediately make me excited. I'm even more excited. Why? Well, um, I looked this person up because at first I didn't open the book until today. So um, I was like, man, who is this individual? So I Googled her really quick. So I was a white man. I was like, well, interesting. Like very early, I was like, who is this person? And um, I enjoy the preface or I find benefit or constructive value in the preface because it is a plea to white people. I think he's being um, open about what, Fanon is saying in the text and really making a plea for white people to listen to it. Um, so that's kind of cool, but not because I think that white people will actually listen to it, but because to me, he even sounds like his emotionality about it is almost even, um, it's very urgent, very urgent what he's saying. But what that means for me is he's left a lot of gems within the piece that he wrote to me and kind of giving me a nice outline on what I can expect from Wretched of the Earth because I don't know anything. Like, I've never read an outline or a review or anything like that. So I know that Fanon is pretty much saying um, non-white people in the, in the terminology that we would use or that I would use is non-white people uh, unite, so to speak, um, and there's violence against white people. I don't know, like, what Fanon is saying, but that makes me really excited that that, to me, seems to be a really big part of this book, or at least what the person writing the preface is saying. Now, I took a lot of notes, so I won't, like, try to go through all of them, but um, I think I might have the new translation that maybe the other um, folks who spoke said that they have. Um, so 
I like the version that I'm reading. I kind of like was listening in, but then just reading it once I realized I had a different one. Um, and this one seems to be like, I'm vibing with it, so to speak. And um, he says that finance is offering a diagnostic. And I thought that was very important because it places it like it makes finance definitely a scientist. Like this is an emotional thing. I think a lot of times when we talk about what we're going to do or we talk about white supremacy, people will act like it's coming from an emotional place. And although there is some emotionality to it, to say that, you know, you're diagnosing a problem. And then he goes on to say um, that Fanon doesn't use or doesn't waste time condemning um, them and he's talking about white people or whatever, but he makes use of them or like these certain situations. Um, I wish I had like the exact page numbers and stuff so I could reference whatever was mentioned in the audios, but anyway. Um, and then he says that Banan is teaching us how to outwit them. I was like, yes, I'm so excited to read this text. He doesn't define racism, but he uses the term in the translation that I have a couple times, so I noted that. Um, he says on one of them that we Europeans, we can hear him. And I think that's so important because a lot of times we'll have these really powerful non-white people say really powerful things and like have solutions to problems that we are not paying attention to as non-white people, but white people know about these people. I think Dr. Welding is one of those people too, that white people know who she is or like and know her work, even if they try to lie to us and say that they don't. The same is true for Fanon. And so when they're saying these powerful things, white people are paying attention because they know that. I'm not, I don't know Fanon, so I don't know the work, but I'm saying, like, if someone's saying that that's a certain level of genius to understand, like, hey, there's a real problem, I'm going to diagnose it, be, be scientific about it. Um, let's see. He said so much. Like, there are, like, chunks of text that I was just like, wow, um, that's great. Like, he, and even, like, some of the words in, in the translation, like, preacher and stuff like that, and zombie. I don't know if the one um, in the audio that was played used the word zombie, but in this translation, the word zombie is used several times, and even the walking dead, which I think is so interesting that this person is saying that. Um, yeah, let's see. I'm sorry. There's just so much that it's a, it even requires intimidation. He talks about guns. He says that white people think of themselves either as a whip or as a gun. I was like, that's a welding moment. Um, he poses the question, how come white people pretty much cannot re uh, recognize their own cruelty that has now turned against them? I think white people realize that. That's why they want the guns that they're, like, that they're doing. They know what time it is. It's like, I guess sometimes maybe because we're not talking about it behind closed doors because we, you know, haven't come to face reality as like, hey, this is what it is. But there's going to be a war. But that's not because that we said there's going to be a war. There's going to be a war because that's what happens when white people, like, that's what happens when you do what white people have done. And they know that, like, they've already played this, moved the pieces out to see how this ends. And ultimately, it ends in violence. And I think that's what this person is saying. Now, Fanon must be trying to tell us, hey, it ends in violence. There must be something we need to do or, you know, moving on. Um, and then he goes into, like, the psychological assessment, which I thought was fantastic. He talks about uh, black people being lazy, but that's a form of sabotage. And I was like, man, never looked at it that way. Not to really realize that laziness is a form of sabotage. Like, in interpersonal relationships, I might see it, but on a grand scale, that that's what, like, what people will say is lazy and try to be judgmental towards black people or non-white people is really, it's just our form of sabotage. Um and then he says that we're massacring each other. And I think, of course, naturally, like not naturally, but obviously physically, like with actual physical death. But I think psychologically we're doing it to each other, too, which is mentioned in, in this part. 
he talks about the rage, and he says that once their rage explodes, they recover their lost coherence. I think there's so much truth to that. I think, like, I really cannot wait. I pray I'm on this earth when we can, like, that becomes the level of our conversation. Like, we can talk about the rage and be, like, how we can constructively use it. Um, Because he even talks about how we don't, like, we'll have all of that energy and then waste it. Like, he gives an assessment on, like, spiritual advisors or something like that and, like, running to these areas. If I Like, there's so many notes. But I think that's true, too. Like, I've observed that in the so-called conscious community, you know, like, there'll be all this energy and everyone's running to, like, these religions and doing all this kind of stuff. And then the energy will seem like it dissipates in these, like, kind of pseudo-movements or whatever. And he mentions that. Um, and I do believe that, that once our rage explodes, that's when we recover. Like, that's when everything goes kind of out, like, right. Not immediately, but that's what, nothing can happen until that happens. That's the natural way of things. Like, that's just what it is. Um, and white people know, and they're preparing for it. He says, killing a European is killing two birds with one stone, eliminating in one the oppressor and oppressed, leaving one man dead and the other man free. I just, I just, it's not about loving violence. I even, like, highlighted that. Like, he says that this isn't about hate. I think he used the word hate, which I totally disagree with. This isn't about hate. This is just reciprocity, karma, however you want it. Like, this is what, what it is. White people have already said it. They already know it. Um, so, anyway. He talks about men becoming men, like how men, you know, okay. He, I, just, I do appreciate this because it's definitely setting me up to understand um, what I'm in for with uh, Fernand's work here. And then he says, but if the entire regime, even your nonviolent thoughts, is governed by a thousand-year-old oppression, your passiveness serves no other purpose but to put you on the side of the oppressor. And I think, like, that's really eloquently stated. I think sometimes, you know, the name... Oh, Uncle Tom or shout out and stuff like that, but not really like just looking at it. Nonviolence is not going to work in a violent system. Like that's logic. It's just not going to happen. Um, I think I'm going to go ahead and stop there. Um, oh, but wait. And then he says that they're nothing more or nothing less than a minority. And I was like, well, then they know it. White people know exactly what they're doing and they know what time it is. Um, I'm very excited to read this book. Thank you all for listening. Appreciate that, Emmy. Uh, other folks that have a hand up that we've not heard from. If you have commentary, uh, line should be open. Can I, can I be heard? <clears throat> yes, sir. Uh, greetings, everyone. Uh, about the uh, the uh, person who uh, opens up the uh, the book. The first thought came to my mind was a uh, French version of uh, Mr. Timothy. Uh, but I may be insulting him by, by saying that, uh, even more that he would, uh, take credit for. Uh, but, uh, nevertheless, uh, uh, to, and you said this was a white person, right? Unless I've been misinformed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Perhaps uh, he was, uh, to a level, popular, like uh, Mr. Wise, and uh, a book. Books are also written uh, from the standpoint of to make money off of them, and uh, I would figure the idea of uh, selling a book if you had a white person uh, prefacing it it will perhaps make more money uh, for the writer. And uh, I must 
think that uh, Mr. Fanon was not uh, totally uh, absence of having uh, white people around him since he uh, was in a sexual relationship with one. Uh, so I would not be surprised if that was maybe one of the uh, reasonings on why white people do know white supremacy, racism, what it is and how it works. Uh, it's uh, it uh, logically speaking, it's the victims who don't have an understanding of what it is and how it works. So they can be quite uh, coy in their uh, speech and actions on it, but they're not going to solve the problem, or not even be serious about solving the problem. As far as what we have seen constantly on this program although they've provided a lot of uh, information. And I would just say that uh, that person perhaps was one, is one example of it. I took some notes uh, right from the beginning. Uh, he was basically, I don't, have, I don't have a book at all. I don't have a book at all. So basically what I'm doing is, is just listening to what is being uh, narrated and uh, attempting to respond to it. So if the uh, firefighter, the retired firefighter hasn't show how, showed how dumb he is by now, I certainly will within this uh, book period of time. Uh, the process, I got down here, the process of deception that whites uh, subject non-white people to, he was describing almost from the start. Uh, and uh, it provides the ability uh, through through brainwashing, what I call in quotes quotations brainwashing techniques that we uh, we actually ended up end up assisting the races through our confused behavior, which is a result of confusion with deception. Uh, and and I and I'm basically I'm uh, uh, channeling all of this information into uh, Mr. Fuller's. Uh, understanding of racism, white supremacy from a counter-racist point of view. Uh, I also heard the word uh, integrate and or integration and uh, and uh, you don't integrate or segregate racism, you uh, neutralize it and replace it with, uh, with justice. Uh, third world uh, I have here uh, is uh, Basically, it's code for non-white people, and I got in parentheses the darkest, complected ones. So I guess second world would be uh, people are a little bit lighter, but still non-white. Uh, I heard the word colonies, and uh, from the word guide, it describes that, uh, and I agree, you shouldn't use it. Uh, it doesn't give a accurate. Uh, accurate understanding uh just state uh racism white supremacy uh because uh, it's very confusing it's a very confusing term uh the word the word colony or colonize or colonies itself uh basically it's a i could say probably it would probably be something like a code uh uh code of uh meaning people slash places of uh, people subjugated by the racist 
Uh, I have here, for some reason, Fanon describes the layers of refinement. Uh, and I have reference white supremacy. Uh, and because I'm hearing words like uh, also described, uh, described certain people like uh, bourgeoisie, uh, lumping proletariat, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I can recall hearing that uh, type of uh, description, uh, I think in the Red Book that the Black Panther Party used to, be, used to uh, uh, sell a lot when they uh, first started, uh, which comes from uh, the part of the world that's called Russia when it, as it was uh, forming itself into this, what, what is called, what was called the Soviet Union. Uh, and that's some of the verbiage from the, uh, I guess, the thought of what is called communism. You get those words uh, that I'm used to hearing. Uh, the the use of a lot of the code, uh, what I call code, is through the book is what probably one of the main things that make the the book read. Uh, it's going to be it's going to be difficult uh, during the process. So, like like I'm hearing everybody saying, you really got to really listen to what is what is being said. Uh, uh, I got down here. I hear self. No, I, I'll just skip that. Um, oh. Uh, Yes. Yeah, also, from what I was hearing, is uh, there's the similarities of how uh, mistreated people or oppressed people uh, they behave in the same fashion uh, just about everywhere around the world, uh, more so than just in that area of the world. On uh, what he was talking about, which is uh, uh, Africa, uh, I would perceivably think it's the northern part of Africa, uh, specifically where Algiers is uh, located in, in that part, unless I've uh, been mistaken. Um, I'll just stop there. I'll just stop there. But those are just some of my thoughts uh, through the first half of the reading. Thank you. Appreciate that, retired firefighter. Uh, do we have other folks that we missed, other folks who have not shared at all who have a hand up? Yes, yes, sir, Mr. Demi Four. Okay, uh, I hope I can be uh, understood. Uh, okay, he started out in the uh, preface, you know, stating not too long ago how many, I guess, inhabitants it was on Earth. We have to uh, consider that when this book was written, uh, how many years ago? So a lot of uh, things, statistics, and some of his uh, premises, you know, may or may not have come into being. But a few of the notes that I've taken was, <clears throat> and that was a part where 
he said that, uh, first of all, I was wondering who was the book written for? Because the way the uh, narrator was talking, he was speaking from a European point of view. And the way I understood France Fernand is a black Frenchman, uh, a psychologist, or he's in the uh, psychoanalysis. Psychoanalyst, <clears throat> when he spoke and said that, uh, uh, by and large, what they are saying is you are making us into monstrosities. Your humanism claims we are at one with the rest of the humanity, but your racist methods set us apart. So I, I thought of uh, uh, Mr. Nearly Fuller saying the system of white supremacy uh, certainly turns us into monsters and monstrosities. We're actually torn between um, actually uh, understanding what's happening to us and doing something about it and then uh, not understanding and being passive and therefore uh, contributing to your own uh, victimization. Uh, another part here further down is for the only true culture is that of the revolution. That is to say it is constantly in the making. Fanon speaks out loud. We Europeans can hear him as the fact that we hold this book in your hands proves it is not then afraid that the colonial women, in fact, you hold, yeah, the colonial powers may take advantage of his sincerity. You know, um, it's almost like uh, he was letting other Europeans know that this is sort of a warning that we should take heed. And I think further on down, he said that the book should uh, shame some Europeans, uh, which I don't agree and I don't, I don't see that happening. Uh, it said, Europeans, you must open this book and enter into it after a few steps in the darkness. You will see strangers gathering around a fire, come close, and listen, for they are talking of the destiny they will meet out to your trading centers and to the hired soldiers who defend them. You know, and I think that some of these warnings that he uh, gave out, uh, depending on who's interpreted, may or may not have come to be. Um, he says, in this case, you will say, let's throw away this book. Why read it if it is not written for us? For two reasons. The first is that Fanon explains you to his brothers and shows them the mechanism by which they are estranged from ourselves. Take advantage of this and get to know yourself, seen in the light of truth. It sounds like uh, he's trying to uh, actually uh, help solidify uh, 
the system of white supremacy and, and I guess he's telling his brothers to pay attention to what Fanon is saying so that we can uh, refine it even better. And uh, I have one last one. Um, the part where it said that they can only stop themselves from marching against the machine guns by doing our work for us. At their own accord, they will speed up the dehumanization that they reject. So it's almost like quicksand. The more you wiggle, the deeper you sink. Uh, this is only the uh, beginning, but I'll try to uh, stay up and stay along with it. Thanks for taking my call, Gus. I'll mute my line. Appreciated, Mr. Demry Four, a longtime participant in the uh, book club, making sure we didn't miss anyone. If you had other folks, if you had commentary uh, for the first portion of Wretched of the Earth, feel free to get a hand up. Please don't wait until the last few minutes. Uh, before I get to some of the notes that uh, I took, uh, one, we had a caller, the translator for the version that I have, and it seems that I have the same version that the narrator is reading from. Constance Farrington, F-A-R-R-I-N-G-T-O-N, Constance Farrington, and this is from 1963, uh, the English translation that we're hearing. Okay, some of the, or I guess one thing I guess I would encourage folks to think about or consider, this book came out the same year that Fanon passed away, 1961, and to have uh, oh, and to Mr. Demery's point, the reason that there might be some confusion, and I had this problem, even though uh, I knew I've read portions of this book before. I was familiar with it. I've read uh, entire Fanon books before. I knew that Jean-Paul Sartre did the introduction, but I kept forgetting that because it was so long. Again, it's going to take up the entirety of our discussion today is just getting through this introduction before we next week get to what Fanon actually has to say. Uh, but I kept forgetting that and thinking that this was Fanon doing the writing. I kept having to like remind myself and I just kept saying, like, you know, if it was Kamal, Dr. Kamal Kambon, if it was Dr. Francis Cress Welsing, if it was Dr. Marimba Ani and someone said, oh, my goodness, this is their seminal work. This is the te ISIS papers. Got to read. Urugu. Got to read. The last book, gotta read, whatever it is, whoever the person is, major scholar, right? Gotta read this work. And you go get it. And the preface is like 30 pages of Tim Wise or Jane Elliott or John Brown. You pick the white person, Bill Ayers, whoever it is, Peggy McIntosh, that is, you know, so cool that they just had to take a few minutes to talk about the wonderful. Uh, Francis, my friend, and uh, their work. What <laughs> I mean, I just could not imagine. I mean, that would radically shift what I thought about their work, if that were the case. Uh, and again, Fanon has a white wife. Um, when I first was introduced to him, I did not know that. And I did not have the proper understanding of the incorrectness of that. When I found that information out and then had an accurate understanding and went back and reexamined his work, totally different 
reading processing of the information. Uh, and in fact, that'll probably be something that I keep in mind and point out as we move through this text. At any rate, moving to the specific notes that I took from the text, the portion at the very beginning where he gives out the numbers, uh, Jean-Paul Sartre, suspected racist, where he gives out these numbers saying that not very long ago, the earth numbered 2,000 million inhabitants, 500 million men, and 100,500 million natives. That right there is significant for a lot of reasons. I would say, number one, that is the most convoluted way of mathematics. This book came out not that long ago. It's not that difficult to say a billion. Like, just that right there, that habit of white people making things way more difficult, way more convoluted than they need to be, where you have to stop and think, what is it? Because I don't think I've ever heard anyone uh, articulate a billion by saying uh, a thousand million. I mean, who does that? Who speaks that way? I don't know if it was said that way in French originally. Maybe this is a translation error, but I just cannot imagine the translation being that arcane to get to that. That would be one. And it seems like we'll have to compare how this sounds with Sartre speaking and then how this sounds when Fanon starts speaking. But a lot of this just sounds very buckets and buckets of words uh, and jargon. And we could have condensed this and got this done in a much quicker, much more efficient manner that would have been easier to understand. That said, if my Negro brain computed this accurately and what this is, two billion, the numbers that he starts with. And, and so that one point five billion are natives and a half billion are men, which is interesting. If I'm translating, if I'm understanding that correctly, then this would be you've got a half or a half billion whites and you've got one point five billion non-white people. If I'm translating what how Sartre uh, Sart begins all of this. Uh, and I still think that is overrepresenting the number of whites on the planet, if that's what he's talking about in laying all of this out. But I thought that was very important. Uh, I think if so, I think the caller that mentioned rising tide of color against white world supremacy, Lothrop Stoddard, I think he also has a very flagrant demographic breakdown uh, of how outnumbered individuals classified as white are on this planet. I thought that was really, really interesting. And for that to be the opening salvo for his commentary. Uh, next up where he not ignorant about racism also on the very first page of the preface where he says, Europe could believe in her mission. She had Hellenized the Asians. She had created a new breed, the Greco Latin Negroes. We might add quite between ourselves as men of the world, after all, let them ball their heads off. It relieves their feelings. Dogs that bark don't bite. I thought that was very important, particularly coming from a very powerful, respected, intellectual white. This is what whites think of us. Yes, let them go and make up their cool slogans. Black power. I'm black and I'm proud or whatever other cool little jargon they want to come up with. That does not do anything to interrupt our domination of them worldwide and continuing on and on and on decades, centuries. Uh, I thought that was really because most of the time you don't get whites to talk that flagrantly uh, about, you know, this is what it is. I understand. I'm not ignorant. And we got you niggas. That foot is firmly planted on your neck and it's going to be there for a while. You most of the time don't get them speaking that flagrantly. Uh, the next let's see, what do I have? 
the where he talks about the black uh, the black gun courts. I, I suspect these are victims of racism that have been used in some manner to help maintain the system. And the yellow nobles, same thing, non-white people being used and somehow victims to maintain the system are finished. The days of colonized laureates are over. An ex-native French speaking bends that language to new requirements, makes use of it, and speaks to the colonized only. So he's talking about Fanon here and saying how he has used words uh, to reveal truth, ostensibly about racism, white supremacy, and that he's talking directly to non-white people. That is interesting, but I do know a lot of white people read this book. You got a white person doing the introduction. Uh, people, the, the caller who compared this to white people knowing about Dr. Welsing, I know white people who admit that they are familiar with Dr. Welsing's work. Jane Elliott is one. We've had some on the program. White people do not hide the fact that they love and worship Fanon's work. I have seen his books on college uh, syllabi across the country. I cannot say that for Dr. Welsing. Uh, it seems whites have no shame. They are proud of saying, oh, yeah, I own, you know, three, four, five, twelve original first edition copies of Fanon and read that. I wrote a paper on that. I included him in my uh, senior thesis and that sort of thing. I don't I generally don't see that type of unabashed uh, reference and appreciation for Fanon's work, which also makes me dubious. Uh, continuing where he says, Sartre again says, uh, the the colony is planted with settlers and exploited at the same time. Thus, Europe has multiplied divisions and, uh, and opposing groups, has fashioned classes and sometimes even racial prejudices, and has endeavored by every means to bring about and intensify the stratification of colonized societies. Again, not ignorant about racism. Seems like he has a very detailed understanding of ways that white people have manipulated the system of white supremacy, their victims, to help them maintain power. Um, some of the, the just the jargon that's used revolutionary socialism. I have no idea what that is. Uh, and a lot of the terms and framework that are brought in from Marxist way of thinking, uh, a class paradigm of viewing things. I just feel like that is total white supremacy rubbish to confuse what's happening. This is not about class. This is white supremacy, racism all day worldwide. <clears throat> Excuse me. Let's see. The portion where he says the reader is sternly put on his guard against the most dangerous will o the wisps, the cult of the leader and of personalities, Western culture, and what is equally to be feared with the withdrawal into the twilight of past African culture, where the only true culture is that of the revolution. That is easy to say. It is constantly in the making. Fanon speaks out loud. We Europeans can hear him. I'll stop there. Uh, again, revolutionary culture. I have no idea what that is, but I'm interested because Sartre is saying that Fanon addresses these things, things that we should be leery of Western culture, i.e. white culture, white supremacy culture, uh, that we should also fear a withdrawal into the twilight of past African culture. I will be very curious to see if that does come out explicitly or if that is start practicing racism and imposing something on the work that's not there. So we'll keep an, an ear out uh, to see if that pops up in the text. Let's see. Revolutionary socialism. Yeah, I have no idea what that is. Um, let's see. 
where he says, where he's talking, Sartre is talking to Weiss. He says, have the courage to read this book for in the first place, it will make you ashamed and shame, as Marx said, is a revolutionary sentiment. You see, I too am incapable of ridding myself of objective illusions. I too say to you, all is lost unless as a European, I steal the enemy's book and out of it, I fashion a remedy for Europe. Make the most of it. Uh, again, I, I'm, I respect and appreciate Mr. Demery Ford's analysis much better that this is an encouragement that whites take this book and refine how they practice racism. I think any sort of suggestion, this is rhetorical ethic, Dr. Marimba Ani Yurugu, this is rhetorical ethic, this suggestion that white people are going to get this and somehow feel bad because they have mistreated Negras like Fanon and now they're going to clean up their act and do right in the world. That is nonsense. They enjoy this. There's no shame. There's no guilt. There's no feeling bad about dominating black people. Uh, continuing... We says everything will be done to wipe out their traditions, to substitute our language for theirs and to destroy their culture without giving them ours. I thought that was significant uh, because I think a lot of times we accept and or are told that we have been given white culture and we need to shed off white culture. Uh, he's saying here quickly, he doesn't go into a lot of uh, detail that we have not even been given white culture. We've just been stripped of, of ours and not given theirs. Continuing. Uh, let's see when he says, if he show, he took the, he, he's talking about non-white people. If he shows fight, the soldiers fire and he's a dead man. If he gives in, he degrades himself and he's no longer a man at all. Shame and fear will split up his character and make him make his inmost self fall to pieces. Reminded me of the spook who sat by the door, which I narrated on the program last year, where Dan Freeman's character says the same thing that if you don't fight back against white supremacy it's like you are being emasculated i think he says it explicitly like that means you're you're handing over your uh testicles to white supremacy if you don't fight back same sense uh last few things i'll get in then we'll check if folks have any other commentary before we get to the second audio segment uh let's see he says under the amused eye of the settler they will take the greatest precautions against their own kind by setting up supernatural barriers at times reviving old and terrible myths at others binding themselves by scrupulous rights it is in this way that an obsessed person flees from his deepest needs by binding himself to certain observances which require his attention at every turn they dance that keeps them busy it relaxes their painfully contracted muscles again to me Sartre is not ignorant about racism, white supremacy. This sounds like someone who has spent a lot of time meticulously studying victims of racism and how we respond to white torture and terrorism. Uh, that just really stood out because, again, he's speaking in a very explicit manner. And you just don't often hear whites uh, talk this frankly. Uh, let's see. Our worthiest souls contain racial prejudice. I thought that was a mild statement. Uh, and again, not a direct invitement of individuals classified as white. Let's see. I think I will stop there. I had a few other notes, but I will I will stop there. The caller that dialed in last four digits, 4243. Did you have commentary you want to share? 4243. Hello. Thank you for taking my call. I actually... Um... I just wanted to mention that I was able to find the same edition that um, your that the, um, the audio is reading from, and because of timing, 
I uh, had didn't listen to the first segment, but um, all I did was just basically Google the PDF of Wretched of the Earth, and it's like about four links down, just in case if anyone did want to switch over. Uh, and I'm sorry, this is Brett from Ohio. I, that's all I wanted to mention for now. Thank you for listening. Cool in the gang. Cool in the gang. Did any folks any thoughts? Is that is that a stretch? Because I have had I have been checked before by admirers of Fanon, and I'm not you know here to admonish anyone. If you are, I'm just saying that I have been rebuked before by people who say, "Hey, you know, what are you talking about saying that Fanon married a white woman?" Which he did, uh, but you know, suggesting that because of that, maybe his understanding of racism, white supremacy, was flawed uh, in some way. I have been rebuked before. So, uh, does that? reasonable that sort of comparison me saying that you know hey if i went to get the isis papers and there was a long introduction by jane elliott or tim wise i would probably think a bit differently about dr welsing is that a reasonable comparison to fanon having start with this lengthy introduction which we have not completed uh i would just would like to say uh uh, thank you on your commentary because uh, I just want it, it confirmed for me that I'm not insane. Uh, I basically thought along the same lines uh, as you heard uh, with this uh, this guy in the beginning of the book, and I it, it's just logic. I'm just I'm just thinking logically speaking. Uh, if the fact that he actually was in a uh, sexual relationship with a with a uh, white person. Uh, it's not unusual or, or even incorrect to think that he would not invite a white person, uh, to, uh, basically, uh, uh, MC his, uh, uh, his, uh, his book, you know, kind of like, uh, introduce him and whatever, that sort of thing. And also I think, and, and I, and I still say it may have played along the lines of, of, uh, assisting in selling the book. Uh, and I did equate uh, him similar to uh, Tim Wise. I uh, just, in like in a, sort of in a joking matter, say that that, that may be an, an insult to him to say that. But uh, uh, to me, they sound. I put them in the same box. I put them in the same box. Uh, I could have used also some of the other examples that have been right on the program, like Jane Elliott and. Some of the others who they they know all of the answers. They know all of the answers uh, to racism, white supremacy, and I strongly suspect, uh, suspect that they know on how to solve the problem directly. And I think they have a means if they really wanted to to uh, basically uh, press that upon uh, their white quote unquote comrades. Uh, I'm talking about the racist ones, <laughs> uh, especially. Uh, and uh, so uh, just, you know, uh, this, I, I, it's good for me for me to uh, hear some others who uh, think along the same terms. That's, that's all I have to say. Anything else folks wanted to make sure they get in before we get to the second audio segment? Be yes, ma'am. May I be heard? Oh, heard I'm both sorry. of you. I can wait. Emmy, proceed. Okay. Um, I agree that the preface is 
very long, and it is definitely um, superfluous with all those nonsense words and buckets and buckets of words and all that kind of stuff. Um, I am, however, still appreciating the preface. Um, I know, like, I didn't, I don't know anything about Frank Sinatra. Um, I just recently learned that he had a white wife. And, um, like, I, le- I recently learned that about a lot of, like, actually, um, like, much older black male thinkers and stuff like that. Like, I had no idea. Um, does it change how I'll view the text? It definitely just adds an extra layer, but I look at that like that's part of his victimization. I look at that like I don't look at him being Frantz Fanon and having his white wife any different than I really would look at um, a non-white, specifically black male who's married to a white woman like one on the street, like an ordinary person. Um, I think that that doesn't, that yes, it's something to pay attention to, but I still think that there's going to be a lot of good stuff in the text for me that I'm really interested to hear what he has to say. And I disagree with it needs like that preface needs to be that long. Um, however, I do still think that um, not that he's, I don't even know if he's intentionally saying like, because he's addressing it to white people, it was, it's fun for me to read. Um, I just think that, like, yeah, we don't need it. We could get directly to the text. Like, I would hate if ISIS Papers had some really long preface by some white person. Um, But I'm still kind of enjoying it. All right, that was it. Thanks. Right on. Was that Red that spoke up simultaneously? Yes. Um, I just wanted to quickly say, just like Emmy had mentioned, um, since I've been trying to learn more, I didn't know that all of these different um, black philosophers had white partners. But I was actually thinking about that just as I was listening to the small clip that I or the small bit that I heard from the first segment. And it was definitely kind of like puzzling. And I do feel that, you know, with people wanting to involve themselves so um, personally with suspected um, racist or in their case with actual racist, I feel like it does kind of um, affect their, it, it could actually affect their, their philosophy. That's, that's my thought. And I also think about the, um, the, the cow show where you were speaking to the, the black male who had moved to Brazil and he was speaking about just all the different Brazil, black Brazilian thinkers who where it seemed really radical, but they also had um, white partners. So I, I definitely feel like it does play a part. But then also, like Emmy said, I don't feel like it completely negates what they said. Uh, I just feel like it it makes it as if, you know, whiteness, it makes it as if racism is like this invisible hand within the room, but it doesn't actually put it on white people themselves. And then just just hearing what other people have said, just about the first part being written by a suspected racist, it does, like you had said, remind me of like, you know, like a Tim Wise, because that's the main one that I'm, I know of. I haven't really heard too much about um, the Macintosh lady. I'm, I forget her first name. She just said it. But I, 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 I do feel like they, they are very quick at just, you know, kind of waggling a finger at other whites you know, basically saying, well, you shouldn't do this, but later on, not really actually um, saying anything that 
or doing anything of actual substance. It's just basically just kind of chastising them, if you can even call it that, and then just going about their regular day. Uh, that's all I wanted to add for now. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Any uh, other comments folks wanted to get in before we get to the second audio? Appreciate that, Red in Ohio. Folks satisfied? Yes, can I say one other thing? One more from Emmy. Um, typically, if white people really like something that's supposed to be constructive for black people, I am looking at it very, very suspiciously, um, like movies or anything like that. But however, I feel like with this text, again, maybe it'll change while I like get into the text more, but perhaps white people really like this in the same sense that like I would really like rising tide of color because perhaps it's like we can peek into um, what they're thinking and like get a little bit more intel I guess so if they share like if they shun it then it means that there must be a lot of validity to it and then maybe you know more non-white people will feel like they want to read it but if it's just accepted and part of the literary canon and people embrace it and act like they really like it and they do refine themselves, as Mrs. Ford said, then you can kind of, I don't know if whitewash is a proper term, but take some of the out of it for, you know, like by amalgamating it into your kind of canon. I don't know a better word. But so, I mean, I just think of that because there's a lot of stuff that white people like. I'm like, no, I'm not going to like it or no, it's not constructive. But I still think like just because they really like it, it still might be really constructive and that might be why they actually really like it. Like this book might just be like that. Maybe. But that was it. Thank you. We shall see. We shall see. Uh, other folks uh, have any, any other comment they needed to get in before we get to the second audio segment? Everyone satisfied or at least content to wait until second audio segment is good, done? Grand. We will get to audio segment number two. We are still in the introduction. I lost my page, but I think we are on 20. Yep. We are, or for me, the edition that I have, we are kind of at the middle of 20. 25 actually middle of 25 where he finished the senate uh, paragraph it says uh but if the whole regime even your non-violent ideas are conditioned by a thousand year old oppression your passivity serves only to place you in the ranks of the oppressors that's where we stopped at so next paragraph is what we're picking up at still in the preface by jean-paul sartre this is france fanon the wretched of the earth context of white supremacy audio segment number two You know well enough that we are exploiters. You know too that we have laid hands on first the gold and metals, then the petroleum of the, quote, new continents, and that we have brought them back to the old countries. This was not without excellent results, as witness our palaces, our cathedrals, in our great industrial cities and then when there was the threat of a slump the colonial markets were there to soften the blow or to divert it crammed with riches europe accorded the human status de jour to its inhabitants 
thus to be a man is to be an accomplice of colonialism since all of us without exception have profited by colonial exploitation this fat pale continent ends by falling into what Fanon rightly calls narcissism Cocteau became irritated with Paris that city which talks about itself the whole time is Europe any different and that super European monstrosity North America chatter chatter liberty equality fraternity love honor patriotism and what have you all this did not prevent us from making anti-racial speeches about dirty niggers dirty Jews and dirty Arabs high-minded people liberal or just soft-hearted protest that they were shocked by such inconsistency but they were either mistaken or dishonest for with us there is nothing more consistent than a racist humanism since the European has only been able to become a man through creating slaves and monsters while there was a native population somewhere this imposture was not showing up in the notion of the human race we found an abstract assumption of universality which served as a cover for the most realistic practices on the other side of the ocean there was a race of less than humans who thanks to us might reach our status a thousand years hence perhaps in short we mistook the elite for the genus. Today the native populations reveal their true nature and at the same time our exclusive club reveals its weakness that it's neither more nor less than a minority. Worse than that since the others become men in name against us it seems that we are the enemies of mankind the elite shows itself in its true colors it is nothing more than a game our precious sets of values begin to molt on closer scrutiny you won't see one that isn't stained with blood if you are looking for an example remember these fine words how generous France is us generous what about Satif then and those eight years of ferocious war which have cost the lives of over a million Algerians and the tortures but let it be understood that nobody reproaches us with having been forced to such and such a mission for the very good reason that we had no mission at all it is generosity itself that's in question 
this fine melodious word has only one meaning the granting of a statutory charter for the folk across the water new men freed men no one has the power nor the right to give anything to anybody for each of them has every right and the right to everything and when one day our humankind becomes full-grown it will not define itself as the sum total of the whole world's inhabitants but as the infinite unity of their mutual needs here I stop you will have no trouble in finishing the job all you have to do is to look our aristocratic virtues straight in the face first and last time they are cracking up how could they survive the aristocracy of underlings who brought them into being a few years ago a bourgeois colonist commentator found only this to say in defense of the West we aren't angels but we at least feel some remorse what a confession Formerly, our continent was buoyed up by other means, the Parthenon, Chartres, the Rights of Man, or the Swastika. Now we know what these are worth, and the only chance of our being saved from shipwreck is the very Christian sentiment of guilt. You can see it's the end. Europe is spraying leaks everywhere. What then has happened? It simply is that in the past we made history and now it is being made of us. The ratio of forces has been inverted. Decolonization has begun. All that our hired soldiers can do today is delay its completion. The old mother countries have still to go the whole hog. They still have to engage the entire forces in a battle which is lost before it has begun. At the end of the adventure, we again find that colonial brutality which was Bajard's doubtful glory. But though it has been multiplied tenfold, it's still not enough. The National Service units are sent to Algeria and they remain there seven years with no result. Violence has changed its direction. When we were victorious we practiced it without it seeming to alter us. It broke down the others but for us men our humanism remained intact. United by their prophets, the peoples of the mother countries baptized their commonwealth of crimes, calling them fraternity and love. Today, violence, blocked everywhere, comes back on us through our soldiers, comes inside and takes possession of us. Involution starts. 
the native recreates himself and we settlers and Europeans ultras and liberals we break up rage and fear are already blatant they show themselves openly in the nigger hunts in Algiers now which side are the savages on where is barbarism nothing is missing not even the tom-toms the motor horns beat out Algeri Francais while the Europeans burn Moslems alive Fanon reminds us that not so very long ago a Congress of psychiatrists was distressed by the criminal propensities of the native population those people kill each other they said that isn't normal the Algerians cortex must be underdeveloped in Central Africa others have established that the African makes very little use of his frontal lobes these learned men would do well today to follow up their investigations in Europe and particularly with regard to the French for we too during the last few years must be victims of frontal sluggishness since our patriots do quite a bit of assassinating of their fellow countrymen and if they're not at home they blow up their house and their concierge this is only a beginning civil war is forecast for the autumn or for the spring of next year yet our lobes seem to be in perfect condition is it not rather the case that since we cannot crush the natives violence comes back on its tracks accumulates in the very depths of our nature and seeks a way out the union of the Algerian people causes the disunion of the French people throughout the whole territory of the ex-mother country the tribes are dancing their war dances the terror has left Africa and is settling here for quite obviously there are certain furious beings who want to make us pay with our own blood for the shame of having been beaten by the native then too there are the others all the others who are equally guilty for after Bezerta, after the lynchings of September who among them came out into the streets to shout we've had enough but less spectacular the liberals and the toughs of the tender left the fever is mounting among them too and resentment at the same time and they certainly have the wind up they hide their rage and myths and complicated rites in order to stave off the day of reckoning and the need for decision they have put at the head of our affairs a grand magician whose business it is to keep us all in the dark at all costs nothing is being done violence proclaimed by some disowned by others turns in a vacuum one day it burst out at Metz the next at Bordeaux it's here there and everywhere like in a game of hunt the slipper it's our turn to tread the path step by step which leads down to native level
but to become natives altogether, our soil must be occupied by a formerly colonized people, and we must starve of hunger. This won't happen, for it's discredited colonialism which is taking hold of us. This is the senile, arrogant master who will straddle us. Here he comes, our mumbo-jumbo. And when you have read Fanon's last chapter, you will be convinced that it would be better for you to be a native at the uttermost depths of his misery than to be a former settler. It is not right for a police official to be obliged to torture for ten hours a day at that rate. His nerves will fall to bits unless the torturers are forbidden in their own interests to work overtime. When it is desirable that the morality of the nation and the army should be protected by the rigors of the law, it is not right that the former should systematically demoralize the latter, nor that a country with a republican tradition should confine hundreds and thousands of its young folk to the care of purchased officers. It is not right, my fellow countrymen, you who know very well all the crimes committed in our name. It's not at all right that you do not breathe a word about them to anyone, nor even to your own soul, for fear of having to stand in judgment of yourself. I am willing to believe that at the beginning you did not realize what was happening. Later you doubted whether such things could be true, but now you know, and still you hold your tongues. Eight years of silence. What degradation! And your silence is all to no avail. Today, the blinding sun of torture is at its zenith. It lights up the whole country. Under that merciless glare, there is not a laugh that does not ring false, not a face that is not painted to hide fear or anger, not a single action that does not betray our disgust and our complicity. It is enough today for two French people to meet together for there to be a dead man between them. One dead man, did I say? In other days, France was the name of a country. We should take care that in 1961 it does not become the name of a nervous disease. Will we recover? Yes, for violence, like Achilles' lance, can heal the wounds that it has inflicted. Today we are bound hand and foot, humiliated and sick with fear. We cannot fall lower. Happily, this is not yet enough for the colonialist aristocracy. It cannot compete its delaying mission in Algeria until it has first finished colonizing the French. Every day we retreat in front of the battle, but you may be sure that we will not avoid it. The killers need it. 
they go for us and head out blindly to the left and right. Thus the day of magicians and fetishists will end. You will have to fight or rot in concentration camps. This is the end of the dialectic. You condemn this war, but do not yet dare to declare yourselves to be on the side of the Algerian fighters. Never fear, you can count on the settlers and the hired soldiers. They'll make you take the plunge. Then perhaps, when your back is to the wall, you will let loose at last that new violence which is raised up in you by old, oft-repeated crimes. But as they say, that's another story, the history of mankind. The time is drawing near. I am sure when we will join the ranks of those who make it. Jean Paul Sartre. Context of white supremacy. That will wrap up our first audio segment for the Wretched of the Earth. When we start next Friday, we will be Friends Fanon. Picking up chapter one, looking forward to it. Uh, folks have commentary uh, on what they heard. Second portion of Jean-Paul Sartre's preface, the number to dial 641-715-3640. The, the code 564-943-POUND. Press star six if you would like to participate. Uh, please do not wait till the last moment. If you have uh, thoughts you would like to share, if you had commentary from the first audio segment that you were unable to share, uh, certainly if you have thoughts from what we heard during the second reading, feel free to dial in. All of our listeners who dialed in with a hand up line should be open. Uh, proceed. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, and everybody, it, it seemed as though, uh, the uh, prefacer, uh, and he was he was doing it a little bit in the uh, first first half. Uh, basically, is is to now is is considered to be quote unquote history uh, of uh, what the white people who call themselves French and the place they call France, uh, what they was going through historically, historically uh, attempting to uh still have possession of their stolen uh of their stolen uh uh quote unquote booty uh which was uh non white people in that part of the world uh actually different parts of the world uh at the time uh and at the same time they were rendered bankrupt from the uh battle that was called world war ii uh if one would look at pictures at that time of their army they're wearing similar equipment they were wearing similar equipment to the equipment that uh white people uh issue out to the military forces of this part of the world why because that's actually what took place at the time and uh 
as I mentioned, it's it's a hard read because in counter racist logic, he doesn't use words like white people. Uh, uh, I haven't even heard racism a whole lot, uh, if if at all. Uh, uh, words like code words like colony, colonization, uh, some of those other words that you that you describe, I think as you know Marxist terminology and that sort of thing. So you really have to listen to what what he's saying, and uh, it can be quite confusing at times. Uh, and uh, that that was the position they, they were in. But nevertheless, uh, white people uh, in their uh, desire and or want to mistreat people that they consider to be not white, they're going to uh, take care of their own, so to speak, although they may be struggling uh, uh, at the time. And uh, that was going on. And non-white people at the time uh, had had an idea of that, and they were attempting to uh, uh, render themselves away from uh, these people uh, at the time, the Algerians. Uh, we know about the, uh, the famous movie where actually one of the, uh, the non-white fighters was actually in the movie itself. Uh, that came out in the uh, mid '60s, I think. Uh, but uh, yeah, those are just some of my observations from this second reading that uh, that it brought my mind to uh, the actual uh, history of uh, somewhat of what he was uh, talking about. And that's all I have to say. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. Any any of the callers that we've not heard from at all, you should go ahead and speak now. But everyone who dialed in with a hand up, line should be open. May I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Hello, this is Red again. Um, I... I had a, a few notes because it is a little bit hard for me to follow along just how um, the trouble that I have with the the rising tide of color. Um, I thought that the statement that he made is, is where it said, Europeans have only been able to become a man through creating slaves and monsters. Um, I definitely thought that was interesting. I'm not sure if he was actually at least trying to give some uh, resemblance of truth uh, with that statement. Um, he spoke about the bourgeoisie col um, columnist and how he had said, we aren't angels, but we are at least, uh, but we at least feel some remorse. And I'm not quite sure as far as uh, the nationality of the columnists, um, but it seems like with with white people who I guess like to um, practice racism and pretend that they are I guess practicing uh, quote unquote counter racism or being uh, anti racist, they don't ever actually provide the the names of people, or they don't really like to provide the names of people who they know personally or who they can actually point out who are actually racist. So I thought that that was interesting, but 
usually, at least with me, when I hear bourgeoisie, I automatically think of like a, a black middle class or a black upper class, but that could just be, um, I, I feel that that's definitely probably just my misunderstanding. The use of, um, when he uh, used nigger a couple of times in the text, I thought that was interesting, just how it seems like with some whites, they, to me, it seems like they will use um words that will otherwise will maybe qualify them as being a racist, but they try to use it in a way as if to just explain. It reminded me of like a, I think there was a segment played um, during one compensatory call-in where um, there was a police captain who was basically trying to act as if a white police captain who was basically trying to act as if he was defending a police officer or a black police officer when other people were calling him all types of derogatory names um starting like you know the 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 names that we don't speak up on this show um but i kind of felt like maybe that was just his way of being able to still say those words um the and the last part, I, I guess I couldn't quite, and the last note that I had that I guess I couldn't quite understand was at the bottom of 28, when he basically um, is talking about, um, I feel like it was at the bottom of 28 where he was talking about like the police, if I'm not mistaken. And I just thought that that was, I guess that was interesting. Um, that, uh, yes, it says, um, it's not right for a police official to be uh, obliged to torture for 10 hours a day. At, at that rate, his nerves will fall to bits unless the torturers are forbidden in their own interest to work overtime. Um, it definitely kind of made me think about, you know, um, things that are happening today. Uh, that's all I had to share. Thank you for listening. Appreciate that, Red in Ohio. Do we have other listeners? Uh, if you dialed in with a hand up, line should be open. Proceed. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Um, I, well, I have difficulty uh, with clearly understanding a lot of the text that we read in the book club. Um, but something that a white person told me a long time ago um, about reading is you kind of start with the beginning and then the end and then read the middle. So I've, to answer your question, you posed about why um, this white male is writing the preface of the book and is different. I personally think that it is to provide assurance to any white person who does read this book that, yeah, kind of what um, Emmy was saying about they get to uh, gather information or whatever um, about, like, you know, gather information or whatever um, tactics, I guess, are um, given in this text that may be used against them. And what I did to try to get an understanding a little bit more for me why he was writing this and why it's at the beginning 
he starts the preface saying, not so very long ago, the Earth numbered 2,000 million inhabitants, 500 million men, and 1,500 million natives. Now, throughout the middle of the preface, he clearly distinguishes men as being white men um, and natives being non-white people. So then you go to the end of the preface, and he says, uh, hold on a second. Okay. He says, um, then perhaps, well, he says, will we recover? Yes. That's important. And then perhaps, because I figure that's important because the we he's already distinguished, he's talking to, in my opinion, is white people. Um, and he says, then perhaps when your back is to the wall, you will let loose at last that new violence which is raised up in you by old, oft-repeated crimes. But as they say, that's another story, the history of mankind. The time is drawing near, I am sure, when we will join the ranks of those who make it. So I personally think that it's just to provide assurance to white people that, yeah, he wrote this book. It has a lot of great information. But... Birds chirp, dogs bark, and white people continue to practice racism, and the system will not be affected, as he says. That is the history of mankind. So, um, but yeah, I think he did attempt to state truth. I mean, if his audience that he specifically was speaking to is white people, he would have no reason to be deceitful in his language. So, I do think that there were truths that were um, stated. But at the end of the day, I think that he was just assuring them that, yeah, it's going to keep going the way it's going. So that's all I wanted to share. All right. Appreciate that, ma'am. Uh, Do we have other folks who had? Can I be heard? Yes, sir. May I be heard? Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> let's see. Um, the part, uh, I guess, in 26, where he was at the end of 20, uh, yeah, 25, he said, is Europe any different? And that super European monstrosity, North America, chatter, chatter, liberty, equality, fraternity, love, honor, patriotism, and what have you. All this did not prevent us from making anti-racist speeches about dirty niggers, dirty Jews, and dirty Arabs, high-minded people, liberal, and just soft-hearted protests that they were shocked by such inconsistencies, but they were either mistaken or dishonest, or with us, there's nothing more consistent than a racist humanist. And uh, one other thing, oh, he said that uh, in 27, now we know that these are 
what these are worth and that the only chances of our being saved from shipwreck is the very Christian sentiment of guilt. You can see it. You can see it's the end. Europe is springing leaks everywhere. What then has happened? It's simple, is that in the past we made history and now it is being made of us. So we see him talking about the religion of white supremacy here because this uh, Christian sentiment of guilt is just not uh, something, a characteristic of these races. And just to even identify uh, would then be an act of racism because you are misleading and deceiving non-white people when he, when he speak of that. And as another part here that, um, let's see, not that one more. Oh, um, and perhaps, yeah, the other call I mentioned that when the, the back was against the wall, you would let loose at last that new violence which is raised up in you by old, oft-repeated crimes. It kind of reminds you of the book about Bill Tillman saying that underneath the skin of every white person there lies that boiling rage or whatever. I may be saying it incorrectly, but in every white man, there's a, underneath, there's that uh, racist that wants to come out. And I'll mute my line. Thanks. Wow, we the Ben Tillman uh, reference uh, also from uh, our book club. I believe the Ben Tillman quote is uh, if you scratch a white man too deep, I have it written down. Uh, if you all give me a second, I can give us the full uh, the full Ben Tillman effect. Uh, do we have anybody that we missed uh, completely? Any listeners who dialed in that we have totally not heard from or who didn't get to share the second time around? Can I be heard? Yes, sir. All right. Um, I, I, I read this book uh, a couple of years ago, but, you know, now listening and rereading this again, it, it, I mean, I'm getting a, a, a better understanding of, of this, uh, of what this guy is uh, uh, talking about. I mean, I think, I think of him now more racist now than I did before. Um, I read this a couple of years ago before I started understanding uh, or getting get a, uh, a clue about racism, white supremacy. But I think I, I, I appreciate it, just like Emmy said, about a little bit more uh, with this context, because um, I think Fanon purposely put him to write the forward to give us some context about what he's going to write about in regards to, uh, to uh, racism, white supremacy. Uh, and as is always noted, you know, white people are always the best people to, you know, uh, that knows about racism uh, better than, better than anybody. So um, uh, it's uh yeah, it's a, I, I get a better understanding of what, what he's saying and, and, and how racist he is uh, in, in regards to this forward. So, 
Um, but uh, that's all I had to add on me in my life. Hmm. Interesting. The Ben Tillman quote, if you scratch the white man too deep, you will find the same savage whose ancestor used to roam wild in Britain, former South Carolina governor and U.S. Senator Benjamin Pitchfork Tillman, the legend. Anybody else had commentary they wanted to share? Yes, ma'am. Um, it wasn't too much in the second portion of this reading that I really kind of went crazy with no to anything. There was a female caller who spoke previously, and I, too, kind of put a question mark about that. Um, Fanon's last chapter, that it's better to be a native, blah, 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 and then he talked about the police officer, that part. Um, I was like, I'm not really sure what he's doing here. Like, is he saying... Like, is this white sympathy or something like that? Like, it's not right to be a police officer who has to torture someone for 10 hours a day because that does something to them, which is uh, one of the tactics that white people like to use, that they, too, are negatively impacted by racism, um, white supremacy, uh, when, you know, everyone can feel how they feel about that. I also, given, like, everything that's going on, like, I, when I read it, I just was like, what? Um, our patriots have been assassinating their fellow countrymen. And if they find no one home, they blow up the concierge in the house. I just kind of laughed a little bit given um, my situation and what I'm dealing with. But, um, and then in the last page in my book, today, whenever two Frenchmen meet, there's a dead body between them. I was like, there's way more than one. Um, but also in like kind of looking at just the, face in general and then in the text that I have there's actually a forward before the preface and I really wish I had read that before uh, coming on the call just because I didn't know that part wouldn't be in it in that um, but I was reading just a little bit of it like in between and this and I think Gus you mentioned it too like this book kind of like I think Fanon was dying when he wrote the book um, I don't know when he discovered or realized that he had leukemia when he was diagnosed with leukemia, but um, that takes like he was sick, he was ill, and I feel like like in the in the uh, forward part, the person who wrote the forward, which is Homie K. Baba, um, I looked him up. He was like an Indian man, like he was born in India, but I'm not sure if like one of the whiter Indians. But anyway. Um, like puts the dates on it. And so Fanon knew he was dying when he was writing, but that's, that's what I'm coming to. It's a question mark. But if that is the case, like I think that's the case with anybody. Um, when you, As a victim of white supremacy, I really can't look at another victim of white supremacy and be like, oh, what you're doing is, oh, so terrible. You know what I mean? Like whatever it is that you're doing, that, that your behavior, your response to being a victim of the system of white supremacy, you're making mistakes is pretty much what I'm saying. I've made them other non-white people make them, that's going to happen because of everything that we've been through. Um, but I do think, like, certain situations can kind of, like, it doesn't mean that you don't see everything. You might still be engaging in that behavior that's not constructive, but it doesn't discount whatever it is that you can see and the contributions that you can make. And I think that that might be true for Mr. Fadon and his work. And I think as though he's, like, yes, he's with the white woman, right? But he's also dying. So whatever you say when you're dying, like, you can write it. So what? Like, you're not here. He doesn't have to deal with his white wife if she was still alive or 
white people's reactions or anything. And so with the way that this author has been writing this uh, preface, I think like the way that he's saying it, like what Fanon is saying, which to me, if I was going to distill it, like, and I know that's perhaps incorrect, like there's a lot more to it, but it just seems like Fanon is saying, hey, it's really bad um, and violence is inevitable. Like that's pretty much what I feel like he's saying, um, what I'm gleaning from the text. And I could see that if you've been somebody paying attention to white supremacy and you didn't have the analysis that Dr. Welsing, you didn't have the Mystery Lewis Fuller Jr.'s work and the code, you didn't have all that. So you're looking at what you're looking at, responding at how you're responding without actually having some of these, some of this great analysis that clarifies the world for us today. You're doing the best that you can. And so you're making your mistakes, but in your dying days, what do you say? If this has been like your mission, like if this is the thing you're looking at, what do you say to non-white people when you realize nothing is changing, it's so bad? They're going to keep killing us. And I think that might be what Fanon is saying in his deathbed. I feel like this is his deathbed work. But that's just me. I can be totally incorrect. Um, thank you all. Appreciate that, Emmy. Uh, do we have any other folks who had commentary that they wanted to share? Anybody who had a hand up? Uh, please do not wait till the last moment if you uh, think you have something you want to share or a question you want to get in quickly. Maybe Eric. Heard both of you. Let's get the female caller first. Hello, everyone. Thanks for taking my call, Gus. And hello, all the callers. This is Carson 712. And I wanted to get in on the first reading, but I couldn't because I'm at work. So the first um, reading, what stuck out to me was, um, I mean, it was a lot of buckets of words, but um, the monster, the turning us into monsters, because they're monsters. I do remember Mr. Newell Fuller Jr. saying that. And so I always thought that, too, just with their behaviors, and them pushing off their behaviors onto us. And um, um, I'm sorry, I'm not, I don't have, I, I can't take notes, but um, uh, the second, the second reading, um, oh, no, the first reading, another thing that stuck out was when they said something about, uh, well, when the preface author said something about Europeans or white people being shamed, and I really got amusement out of that because Recently, I went in back in the archives and I listened to Cynical African, um, the broadcast that you had with him, and I also ended up going to his website. So white people cannot be shamed about anything. So if people think that, then you can give that up because it's not happening. And the second read, um, what me and my children have been doing are collecting sayings and we're trying to figure out where these sayings come from because we suspect that most of them have something to do with racism. And so he said something about whole hog. And I've heard people say that too, like, oh, I don't want to do, I want the whole hog. I don't want the half hog. And so I jotted that down, and then I want me and my children to research that because I don't know what that means. But I suspect most of these sayings are, they got something to do with racism, skin of your teeth and your feet to the fire and all that. Um, but I'm getting a lot of information from it, but I was, I was disappointed that um, it was a white person in the presence. I, I really was. And that's all I wanted to say. And I will be listening for the rest of the um, book read. And thank you for taking my call. 
the male caller who spoke up simultaneously. Did you have commentary? Thank you to the female caller. Uh, yes. Um, Gus, I, I forwarded you an email uh, in regards to a link uh, of Josie Fanon, uh, an interview she did a couple years ago. I was wondering if you had got that. Um, I saw on this interview that uh, in um, the interviewer asked uh, Fanon's widow that in subsequent uh, subsequent editions, the preface was removed uh, from the book. And uh, she responded in regards to that uh, 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 the guy, uh, John Paul Sartre, was a part of a pro-Israel Zionist movement, and that's why they removed it from some of the earlier editions. So I was wondering if you had got that uh, uh, link to that interview. I'll have to check that out. Thank you for sending it. I'll include that. Yeah, and that's, that's all I have to say. Oh, right on, right on. Did we, anybody that we missed completely, anybody that had commentary they wanted to get in uh, last 10 minutes or so of the program that they wanted to make sure they shared? Anybody that we missed at all? Did we, we get everybody? Okie doke. I will assume we're good. Uh, the quick notes that I took from the second portion of the audio, and it will be great because I think, like I said, I was making the error. I think uh, Emmy might have even said the last chapter where uh, Fanon was talking about committing torture and violence against the natives. Uh, and I said, that's Sartre's final commentary. Fanon, we have not heard any of Fanon's commentary uh, yet. That'll be coming next week. But I was making that same error because it, it's extensive. Uh, it's not, this is a long preface. Sometimes a preface can be one page. This is lengthy. Continuing. <clears throat> From the second audio segment where Sartre, he says, since the others become men in name against us, it seems that we are the enemies of mankind. The elite shows itself in its true colors. It is nothing more than a gang. Mr. Fuller has said consistently that racism, white supremacy, that's why he mentions the Godfather all the time, saying that it just operates the same way that the mafia does. That it's just, you know, the gang on the planet, which is ironic because they talk about black people being thugs and gangsters uh, all the time if anything we are just you know a really 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 poor weak imitation of the biggest gangsters in the known universe racist woman racist man and again to have a white person who is not ignorant i just keep saying you know he reveals truth from time to time i thought that was one next we're a little further down uh, he says rate Rage and fear are already blatant. They show themselves openly in the nigger hunts in Algiers. I think retired firefighter mentioned battle for our battle for Algiers. Uh, that is about the situation that Benon is talking about. He actually participated in that uh, armed conflict, uh, the uh, battle in Algiers, which is in North Africa against the racist French colonizers. Uh, but that film is is pretty famous, widely available. I think it's probably on YouTube at this point, but they got all kinds of great refurbished copies. Probably got a 10K edition at the library now if you want to check it out. It is subtitled. Uh, but 
having nigger hunts in Algiers, I was curious about the translation. Is that the term that they were using in Algiers? They're calling these nigger hunts when they were going to round up uh, these insurrectionists who are trying to overthrow French colonial rule. Were they calling these nigger hunts or was that the word that came through in translation? Uh, next, <clears throat> I thought it was really interesting. The end of that paragraph where they were talking about uh, the union of the Algerian people causes the disunion of the French people through the whole territory of the ex-mother country. The tribes are dancing their war dances. Uh, I thought that was really interesting because it seems to suggest, I think when Dr. Welsing, when she talks about racism, white supremacy, and saying that the pillars holding it up, black self-respect, that the system of white supremacy cannot operate where black people stop being in conflict and bickering with each other and have some black self-respect, uh, and just say we're going to be united independent about solving this problem, that the system of white supremacy cannot last if black people had that mentality. Uh, and I think he's expressing the same type of thing. If black people stopped being in conflict with each other and just said we're going to focus on the problem, people classified as white, uh, that extraordinary consequences of just that alone. Uh, next, <clears throat> uh, I'll make this the last comment. That way, if anybody has a final uh, sentence or what have you they want to get in uh, where he says uh, or I guess I'll get in two quick comments if I can do them quickly where he says but to become natives altogether our soil must be occupied by a formerly colonized people and we must starve of hunger this won't happen for it's a discredited colonialism which is taking hold of us this is the senile arrogant master who will straddle us here he comes our mumbo jumbo a lot of metaphors in his entire writing for the preface. Very interesting ones here, uh, talking as though somehow whites in France, that they are being subjected to some sort of discredited colonialism. I don't know what that means. He talks a lot about them be, there being some sort of psychosis uh, that the French are undergoing because of their, I guess, defeats in Vietnam and what's happening in Algiers. Uh, that this is really bothering uh, French white people, uh, where he says, uh, this senile, arrogant master who will straddle us. Wow, that is quite a metaphor. I'm not even really sure what he's talking about in this, but that is, I mean, that's the only way that you can, or that's the way that he chose to articulate himself, that they were being sodomized uh, or raped, uh, that white people in France, quite a metaphor in the buckets of words. And even uh, here comes our mumbo jumbo uh the term that was used applied to black people uh and just making up degrading racist ways of thinking about their speech and saying oh they're just talking their nonsense talk to their crazy crazy gods uh i will stop there did, did any other folks have commentary that they wanted to share before we wrap up we have about two minutes anything brief or we can wait till next friday Folks satisfied for the first week? I will assume folks. Yeah. Uh, oh, go ahead. I, I was I was just going to say uh, briefly uh, uh, during that historical time, uh, they had also lost their territory uh, that they had stolen from the people in Vietnam. Uh, uh, they had lost their territory from that standpoint and in turn uh, rendered it to their white buddies in this part of the world. 
uh, to uh, fight on on behalf of white people uh, uh, during that time uh, added on also. So, you know, uh, the uh, but nevertheless, the French apparently uh, since that time up to present, they have certainly recovered whatever uh, means, just like any other. Uh, it's like once you said, like like you said, the uh, the Godfather movie, bunch of gangsters. Every now and then, one of the gang, one of the the the, uh, the gangs within the uh, central gang uh, falls on bad times, and uh, it, and eventually over time, because the uh, quote unquote syndicate, in this case, the syndicate is the is the uh, the system of racist white supremacy wants to uh, keep keep them keep them alive and, and well they would uh, subsidize them and and build them back up and that's where they are at today as far as that concern and uh so that's how that's basically how i'm following the, the reading is is matching it up from from the historical perspective of what that part of the world of white people was doing and are still doing today and that's all i have to say thank you appreciate that uh, I think there'll be quite a bit of historical text uh, supporting what Fanon has to say as we begin uh, his actual text next Friday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Uh, we'll leave it there for the debut session. Uh, we'll be here tomorrow for the compensatory call-in, 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central, 6 p.m. Pacific. And we'll be here on Monday. Dr. Vanessa Grubbs will be talking about her new book, hundreds of interlaced fingers. She was just in Seattle, Washington to talk about organ transplants and racism. Gus T was in attendance and forced some of the dialogue about racism will be grand uh, to chat it up with her this coming Monday. With that, thanks for everyone tuning in. If you have commentary that you'd like to write in until justice at gmail.com and we rowdy. Anyway, we'll be here tomorrow. Hopefully the hound will be quiet. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. I hope it was a constructive investment of your time and energy. Uh, if you have questions, gripes, complaints, feel free to drop a line until justice at gmail.com. Until justice at gmail.com. I will suggest again sobriety would be best under conditions of white supremacy. Racists dump a lot of poisons. Uh, Flint, Michigan aside, they dump a lot of poisons, narcotics, alcohol, tobacco, whatever it is, uh, on non-white people, black people in particular, so that we are not in the correct frame of mind to think, solve problems, particularly the problem of white people. So I think we should give sobriety a try. I think Dr. Francis Cress Welsing, Dr. Cambon, Dr. Remember Ani, Mr. Fuller, a lot of the folks that we revere, I think they would strongly encourage us to give sobriety a try. That said, Creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person. It has been time. Replace white supremacy with justice immediately. Context of white supremacy signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, no brother. Problem. 
A victim. Uh, a victim up. of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm-hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. <laughs> With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.